fandom, really? We are back with an August episode of Ladies First. I'm Corey, joined by Taylor. Hello. And um, some stuff happened since we were last here. So we were originally going to be talking about Taylor Swift. And while we will still be talking about Taylor Swift as a millennial icon at a later time, Enough stuff happened online that Taylor and I were kind of like, you know what, we, we, we should dive into this. It's been a while since we've had a fandom commentary episode overall. So that's what we're doing today. Buckle up. It's probably going to be a little spicy. Get a glass of water so you don't get too dehydrated from all the spice. Or milk or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, so there has been, I mean... Let's preface this. We are still in the middle of a global panini, thanks to COVID-19. And a lot of people have been more indoors or shut in or under quarantine or not as outside as we would normally be. And we're going on, you know, year two of this. So it's not like this was a blip on our radar we're still in the middle of this because right now we're in delta and you know we're obviously pro-vaxxers on this channel if you haven't figured that out and we're in the middle of a pandemic of the unvaccinated because you refuse to get vaccinated so here we are but i understand and i want to preface this i understand that Certain world events have meant that more people have spent more time on the internet than ever before. I get it. We're not saying there is just no reason for why this could have happened. Like We understand there's a conflation of events that have happened. More people are online than ever before, which means there's more discourse than ever before. And it means there's more people becoming, how do we say this? terminally online than ever before and i think the byproduct reaction of all of this terminally onlineness has been the growing use of the phrase please go touch grass i mean i need to go touch grass and i'm very self-aware about being on the internet so a lot of people definitely then need to go touch grass because a lot of people are not self-aware about their internet habits and how it can affect them so Yeah, this is kind of uh, us taking a look at the current affair of online discourse. And, you know, like, we we could disconnect. We could disconnect. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, basically, there have been a few videos from different people around the interwebs that have come out recently commenting on why certain types of discourse might blow up and why certain people may suddenly be facing backlash or why there's groups of fandom 
that are arguing with each other over very specific nuances of ships as though you can boil down your preferences to basically make this one person be on par with a literal fascist on whether they agree or disagree with you. Go touch grass. GTG. Yeah, go touch grass. And again, we get it. There have been extenuating circumstances that have driven people online. And I also understand we are in a digital age of connectivity way more than ever before in human history. Like millennials, we grew up with the internet, but we still remember a time without the internet. Like Gen Z, like this is all Gen Z has ever known, right? I get it. This is all you ever known. You guys understand the internet in a way and i'm a very savvy millennial i think but gen z understands the internet and internet culture in ways i never quite fully will because i still have a period of my life that was pre-internet i can speak to this as someone who kind of falls between millennial and gen z because i was born in 97 so for me i had a we had a family computer growing up and the internet was starting to creep into everyday life. But I was like 13 when I got my first Facebook. Like, so I came of age in the 2010s, right when social media and the internet in general really started to permeate IRL. Like mm-hmm. when the internet and the real world started to kind of blur and you was expected to suddenly have a public face on the internet that employers could see rather than having like a really obscure niche avatar side to yourself often some obscure form no one was going to find by accident that couldn't even be linked back to your real person and see here's here's the other thing of gen z particularly like use i see 13 year olds that think absolutely nothing of giving out their real name and address online and to me that's just like it's terrifying but i understand it's like that's what this person grew up with they literally don't see anything wrong with this because that's just what they grew up surrounded by or they grew up or are growing up as the unfortunate byproducts of a mommy vlogger or something, you know. But for me, one of my first experiences with the internet was those Yahoo chat groups getting PM'd by somebody on a video chat and then having a bunch of grown-ass men to my very minor self sending me photos of them fapping their dicks. So that was, you know, little Corey's first introduction to the internet of, oh, this is not a safe space. I shouldn't be giving out any verifiable information on here. That culture has changed. I'm not saying the predatory behavior hasn't changed. It's still there. But that the internet stranger danger, I think that millennials kind of had pressed on us isn't necessarily there with Gen Z. I literally, like, I'm, I use, I sometimes swipe on da- dating apps. There are people who literally have, like, their na- not only their, like, full name, but, like, their workplace. Like, literally the place where they work listed. And I'm like, person, no. I have never used a dating app in my life. Oh, I so wish so, I could be like that. I mean, to me, like, the thought of having to rely on digital virtual meat space to 
potentially find a match is such it, it's so daunting. And I, I, I give everybody who's doing that now, like the grinder, the tinder, the, the whatever they're called. I like more power to y'all. I don't know that I'd have the courage to put myself out there like that. Like that just I. What else are you going to do now, though? Exactly. Because so much of the culture is you meet people online. And this is what leads into one of the videos I saw that I really liked. And we've got it linked as a resource for uh, the article that this podcast is attached to on the fundamentals. And it, the video is Bo Burnham versus Jeff Bezos from CJ DX. And one of the points is that C, sorry, that CJ talks about in here is transhumanism. And I'm not talking about transhumanism as like talking, you know, transgender, like that identity. I'm talking about like humanity melding with machines and all that kind of stuff, like the singularity, Ray Kurzweil. And for the longest time, you always think there's always been this thing like, oh, they're going to put a chip in your head. You're going to put a chip in your head. And CJ makes the point of like, no, the chip is in our hands. It's our smartphones. It's the internet on our smartphones. And I'm not saying CJ isn't saying, and I'm not saying that technology is bad. Technology has made the quality of life better for so many millions of people across the planet. But it's how this technology is being utilized of how, how many of you could go without the internet for a week. I'm already going to tell you right now, I can't do it. I literally can't because I need the internet for my job. Yeah, I've got to That's have, with remote work. Yeah, yeah, I remote work too. Like I literally could not do my job without the internet. That's a benefit. I get to duo call my parents who live in a separate state and physically see them and talk to them. I don't know that I could go a week without doing that again. And for me, most of my friends, because most of my friends I made while I was in college, they live far away. So unless I want to break out a letter and write letters all the time, the internet and text messaging, which is related, or how I stay in touch with people. Um, it's, modern, yeah, It's sure. a part of our lives that we really can't excise anymore. So then the question comes is, well, we can't fully excise it, but we can look at our, I'm going to call it our internet hygiene. I like that. What level of hygiene do we have with the internet? Can we step away and go outside and take a walk and be totally okay? And not like, oh, I got to be online. I got to be checking my phone. Can we do that? Something I, that's actually something I do. Cause I try to go for walks after I clock out just to decompress and why I like listening to music or podcasts to fill the silence in my brain. I am at a point now where I actually don't play any audio on my phone whatsoever. And I keep my phone in my pocket for as much as possible when I'm walking. Because as a, from a writing perspective, it allows me to get in touch with my creativity on another level because I've cut out outside distraction. And just being in the present moment is rejuvenating on a very psychological level. So yeah, try to sit with the silence uncomfortably sometimes. It will get easier. Well, and the thing I also think is you start to enjoy when you can have some silence again, because we are so used to when we are online, we are so bombarded. We are so bombarded. And this leads me to my next point of when you're online, how attached are you to what you're consuming? 
how long are you spending on your social media platforms? Like, are you spending an hour plus a day on these? And I'm saying, I even understand. It's like social media is how some of us, it's the only way we can keep in touch with people. I'm not talking about keeping in touch with long distance. I'm talking about, I, it's a habit now that I'm going to get on Twitter and start scrolling and start scrolling, or I'm going to get on TikTok and I'm going to start scrolling. I'm not going to say Facebook because I mean, Facebook is Facebook, but (laughs) (laughs) my point is, it's like, we're on these platforms and that's the point of these platforms. These platforms have algorithms and they are specifically engineered to keep you on there as long as possible. And what is one of the easiest ways to keep you engaged? Well, that's to get you angry about something. If you're angry, you're engaged. You feel strongly about this. You want to get involved. You want to see where this goes. I know I'm guilty of this. It's like back when the whole Meghan Markle racist coverage thing happened, I would be like, I would look up Meghan Markle to see what racist coverage the British tabloids are writing about her that day. I'm like, why am I doing this? But then this becomes so consuming and so consuming and so defining because you've consumed so much that now it's almost like it's part of your identity. Like this is who I am now. This, this is one of my defining traits if I'm angry about X. And when you're that consumed by and that defined by, where do you think nuance has any room to be in? Nuance goes out the window. You spend a few days being angry. Nuance, nuance is dead. You've already nuked it. So now you spend all of your time being angrier and angrier and angrier with less and less and less room for nuance. And suddenly everything becomes very binary. And I know that's one of our favorite terms in the queer community is binary. But everything becomes so binary, black and white thinking. It's either good or evil. It's been so moralized at this point because it does. Everything we consume becomes moralized when we're that deep into it because we have to justify it somehow, right? So it's so moralized that now it's, you're an awful person if you engage in or like or do whatever in X, Y, Z. You're an awful person. You're an abuser. You're online with a Nazi. You're online with the fascists. Uh, Okay, but we have literal neo-Nazis and fascists quite literally trying to topple our government. But you're so deep in that, you mean it with every fiber of your being. But the problem is, is the things you're accusing these people of have lost all meaning. No, they're not on terms with a fascist. But you are so consumed and so dialed in and have so let this fill up to be your entire personality because you are now terminally online that you can't engage in reasonable nuanced dialogue anymore. And it's all over fandom. For ships. Now, I'm not saying there's not some ships that I disagree with. I have famously disagreed with certain ships on Ladies First, and I've had comments from people who could or could not be considered terminally online. I'll leave that up to other people to decide who have been like, how dare you? But I don't make it my sole defining point. I say why I don't like it. I move on. I don't think about it again. I certainly don't think that if somebody is shipping, I don't know, what, Taylor, what's a popular ship? Supercore. We'll go with Supercore because I'm just going to kick the hornet's nest today. <laughs> I don't think that somebody who ships Supercore is on par with a fascist. Do I have some side eye and 
very reasonable criticism towards the Supercore fandom for bad behavior? Yes. Am I consumed by it? No. It's a ship. It's a fictional ship of two people who don't exist. And I have my ships just like anybody else in media I consume that I would love it if they got together. If they don't, well, okay. Some of them I know going in will never happen. That's why it's called fanfic. That's why you have people who write stories of what ifs this happened. Here's how we could see it. But I don't let it turn into I'm going to be consumed by this ship and I'm going to reduce it down to very binary moralized opinions and call other people on par with like abusers and murderers if they don't agree with me. We This is something I, that was really noticeable on Tumblr a few years ago, but has I think just permeated the general internet more, especially since Tumblr kind of went dormant with the NSFW purge and ban, and you see it more on Twitter now, mm -hmm. but how we've taken this leftist social justice related language and apply it to the most unrelated, unconsequential issues and stripping those words of their significance. I mean, just the other day, Corey, I sent you an article about how this one writer in the Atlantic said that if you were as a person who does not have autism, like if a person who does not have autism buys a fidget a kind weighted, of toy. Like, oh, yes, fidget a weighted spinner or a weighted blanket, you're appropriating. Um, you sent me an article too where another autistic writer was like, um, excuse me, what? That's like literally not the definition of cultural appropriation. And I think the writer of the original article too was white. So it's like a perfect example of someone from a culture who does a lot of this problem then taking the word to describe the problem and misapplying it completely. And so it's like, you see that implied in fandom, like I got late into watching Loki cause I was way late watching all the Marvel shows. But I remember before I even started watching it, I knew there was a lot of discourse because people were like, Loki falls in love with an alternate timeline Loki character it's totally incest and people are gross for shipping it and the word incest that that's that word has a lot of connotations and meaning it can be very triggering for certain people and throwing it around incorrectly for a fictional ship is a lot I once had a friend who several years ago got mad triggered because anti-shipper people were using the word pedophile a lot to describe a ship that was not at all pedophilia but the ship the anti-shippers wanted a way to denigrate the ship so they had to find some moral justice reason and thus they're like we're going to call goes, it pedophilia it goes back to being overly involved and then overly moralized in your opinions it's like uh, my opinion has to have some moral righteousness to it. It can't just be my opinion. It has to be the right opinion. And I'm not, we are not saying like we are just team pro shipper because believe me, I have, I have plenty of issues with pro shippers, pro shippers, anti shippers. I'm just like, I'm with the Sarah Zed of just like, y'all all need to go outside. And I guess we're kicking that hornet's nest. Y'all both need to go outside and get offline. Fandom is about having fun. And if you're investing this much energy into negativity, whether it is like denouncing a ship, ship or having to defend it, 
from negativity. It's like you both situations, you're mired in negativity for something that in the grand scheme of things isn't that consequential. And it's fandom has lost, I think, a lot of like certain words like squick, headcanon, crack ship, those kind of fandom terms aren't as prominent, I think, on the internet. And I feel that reflects kind of like this loss of general fandom and like how it is so much harder to just have private, non-capitalized, non-algorithm-based niche internet connections with people. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, you know, it's like, oh, if we harass the writers or animators enough on Twitter, they'll give us the story we want. Because yeah, we have this access now to creators. It's the access and then that kind of sense of entitlement of mm-hmm. you owe me this. Well, no, they don't. But it also goes back to like the fundamentals. We are, you know, we cut our teeth criticizing Game of Thrones. We have reams of Game of Thrones criticism. But you know what we didn't do? We wrote our articles. We let it go. When we had another piece to write, We'll write our articles. We let it go. We don't constantly 24-7 think about why we hate something in between writing it. We get our thoughts on paper. We write out our criticism. We let it go. It's the same thing on something we enjoy. We get it on paper. We write our criticism. We write our, oh, here's why this is awesome. We also go about and do our other things throughout the day because that's healthy to not be thinking of something 24-7. Fandom should not be your sole defining personality trait. As much as our capitalistic hellscape internet algorithm tells you it should, it should not. I also apologize for the ice cream truck in the background playing Brahms Lullaby. I know I do want to say it's like, well, some of y'all are like, what, what's the worst that could happen? We're just arguing online. Like, how bad is this going to be? Like, y'all, some of you are too young to remember the old days of when certain people got way over involved in fandom, like way, way over involved in fandom. Let me tell you the story of Andy Zan fiction. This cult leader and admitted trigger warning rapist jumped from several fandoms, from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter, making claims that his soul was dead and he was channeling the souls of fictional characters who were doing life and death battles with wizards and demons. And he got followers that he abused, milked for who knows how much money, He ran a scam charity that he's not allowed to run a charity event again in Oregon because of it involving Sean Astin of all people. And one of the cult members he got super involved in, there was a murder suicide, not him, but her ex-boyfriend showed up at the house where they were staying, killed her, a roommate, and then himself. And then Andy Than Fiction, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Some of you might remember uh, Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness was that series he wrote because he got ran out of the Lord of the Rings with that whole shtick. He went to Harry Potter, found a brand new group of people that he was able to abuse because they got that involved. You think people can't get that involved? This was a con artist lying about channeling fictional characters and people got 
sucked into it. You absolutely can get sucked in. Now, thankfully, he moved on, tried his shtick in the supernatural fandom. Again, I'm I'm channeling the spirit of Castiel. By, by this point, the internet is the fandoms are kind of savvy enough that they're warning people off. But then he tried going into the critical role fandom, and that was a step too far. The critical role fandom put out notices like, don't fall for it. Get this guy out. He's openly admitted to sexual assault. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, like, I know people like, oh, well, there's this story in the Onceler, Onceler, whatever that fandom is, or the Hamilton fandom that we did, blah, 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 or Snape Wives. And I'm like, that's cute. Kind of bananas, but that's cute. Have y'all heard of Andy? (laughs) But I mean, it absolutely can go too far and there can be real world consequences. I mean, maybe you don't wind up in a cult, but you isolate yourself from other people in your life who are not so super absorbed into fandom. And I'm sure that you're so absorbed that there's this like moralizing of like, well, they're lesser than for not being as invested as I am. How dare they not like my hobbies? How dare they not care about my five hour rants on the nuances of how this one character dressed on a Saturday? You will absolutely isolate yourself from anybody else in your life outside of this online chamber. And that is not healthy. Again, go touch grass. Go touch grass. It reminds me like on the like alternate political spectrum of the alt-right and how, you know. It's a chamber. It's a pipeline. It is it really exactly is. the same the- mechanism. Yes, and it's this idea that the algorithm feeds it because you may, um, you know, for example, with YouTube may watch like PewDiePie or Joe Rogan, like more like mainstream conservative entertainment. But because of the algorithm works, you keep getting suggested videos. Um, then by- you're on to Ben Shapiro or Stefan Molyneux or, or whatever his name is. Or the pickup artist dude, Vush, Vosh? whatever his name is yeah the thing is like it keeps going and so you get sucked in and the more you watch these videos the more that these crazy ones are recommended to you it's the same mechanism for this fandom stuff like oh you you start like well i disagree with this this is a rational disagreement and then oh well shame on that person for blah 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 and then that person's bad for blah 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 and then this person is irredeemably evil and they're part of a child trafficking ring that has no basis in reality but i have to have a reason to say why that. i'm like you're it you will go down that slippery slope go to trash disconnect it is healthy we're not saying you have to cut the internet out entirely but pull back if you're down if you if you recognize yourself in any of what we're talking about that's a sign go touch grass I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm literally saying disconnect and get that part of yourself, get that energy back. Why are you giving your energy to a capitalist billionaire algorithm scheme? Go touch grass. And remember, there is so much more to life than this one very specific niche internet argument. There is so much more you could be putting your time and your energy, which is the one resource you cannot get back. You cannot get that back, but you can say, I'm going to stop it here and I'm going to look at healthier things to put this into. And if you can't fully disconnect, watch a cat video. Exactly. Like, at least those are, 
it's hard to go pipeline on cat videos outside of like more cat videos. And who knows, maybe that's going to lead you to go get a cat. And at least that cat will mean you have to get off the internet at some point. Taylor talks about of like, you know, disconnecting from the toxic elements of the internet. And she brought this up earlier of like basic internet safety. How much of yourself are you revealing when you go on these tweet rants? Like I see people tweet the most horrific things to other people and then be shocked Pikachu face when this other person retweets what they said or screen caps what they said and calls them out publicly. They're like, how dare you? I don't know. Why did you post it publicly in the first place? What made you think that was okay? And in regards to if you have a disagreement with someone, if you know this person, um, you can always discuss privately over DM. There have been so many things that discourse or drama I've seen play out online, like over public posts, that had it been a private conversation, there would not have been any problems, most likely. Sometimes you can just take it away from public views because some issues or too complicated or too personal to be hashed out in public over sparring tweets. And it's not just fandom that this happens in. I mean, there are other aspects of how you go down these rabbit holes. It may not be a fandom rabbit hole. Maybe it's one of those beauty algorithms and you keep watching and you keep seeing these unhealthy, unobtainable beauty standards, but they're being pushed by the influencers there was a great article that literally talked about teenage girls getting plastic surgery and arguing that it is feminist to get a nose job at 16 because you feel empowered by it and you're taking control of your body. And there was this, it, capitalism has done a lot in gutting feminism online in that if you choose to do something, it's automatically feminist, even if all you're doing is giving exactly into what the capitalist beauty standards want. And I'm not saying you can't get a nose job. It's just, we live in this internet culture where you have these constant subtle pressures of looking a certain way and being perfect because you have people, for example, on Instagram posting pictures of themselves that have been doctored or professional camera lighting. So they look exactly right. And so we have these pressures from beauty culture online to be a certain weight or buy dangerous diet teas to try and lose weight. And again, it's a moral, moralizing language where it's like, if I do this because I'm a woman and I think it's feminist, it is automatically feminist. And, and therefore good. And the idea that you have to justify a aesthetic decision through morality is not healthy. And it's a kind of moralizing something is, can be a very slippery slope about control and self-esteem. Moralizing and then letting yourself get so consumed in that brings about a lack of accountability, a lack of acceptance about your personal responsibility And it leads to a legion of bandwagon brigades that have zero fact checking whatsoever. Again, we talked about, oh, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep and I'm going to keep accusing. Now, all of a sudden, I'm accusing you of being in a child sex trafficking ring or something. Trigger warning. Um, This this has happened. 
And it's just, it is objectively, quantifiably untrue. But this person is just so far gone on trying to justify why they're outraged that they are bald-faced lying and slandering another person with horrific claims. Horrific. Why would you accuse somebody of that? But that's the problem is that term has lost all meaning for them. It's, it's just a buzzword term. It's one of I, your check boxes to win an argument. Mm-hmm. I still remember when the term feminazi was popular on the internet, you know, before Nazis actually started to really rise yeah. up again. And that's that, my thing. It's like, if you really, really just, you get your jollies off, off of being angry and you want to be angry about something online. Oh my goodness. There are so many things you could be legitimately angry about and putting your effort and time into. Look at Stacey Abrams. She channeled that into an outrageously successful voting drive in the state of Georgia. You could be channeling that into so many real world solutions. If, if that is just how you function, I am begging you. There are so many real world things that need your time and energy. Don't waste it on fandom. Don't waste it on interview, interview work, pardon me, um, influencer rabbit holes on Instagram and TikTok. Again, you are not going to get your time and your energy back. Those, those are finite resources. Do you seriously... Want to hit 50. Nobody hits 50 and thinks, oh man, I didn't spend enough time arguing with this random stranger about a fictional ship I've forgotten about on the internet. You're not going to say that when you're 50. No. And the thing is, if you can't be fueled by anger, you're just going to burn yourself out sooner. And burning yourself off online makes it much harder to get your, put your energy into IRL stuff. You don't want to burn yourself out because of the internet. It's yeah. not worth it. Burning yourself out over fandom is not worth it. And I'm not saying every fandom is bad. There are some examples of healthy fandoms. I mean, they may be few and far between depending on what fandoms you're aware of. But like, for instance, I personally very much enjoy the Warrior Nun fandom. You know, I've talked about them on two other podcast episodes. I genuinely enjoy being around that fandom because they can engage with the source material critically without moralizing it into oblivion oblivion on areas where it falls short. They write it out. They say they hope it does better. They're disappointed, but they hope it gets better. And then they move on. But they don't view the source material with rose-colored glasses and refuse to admit anything is wrong either. Taylor wrote a five-part series on criticizing the show on how it is as a trauma narrative. That fandom was wonderfully supportive. But that's not all it... It becomes about the show. It's not, oh, well, this show is bad, so you can't watch it. You're wrong for watching. And it's like we recognize that there's aspects of this show that are problematic, and we recognize there's parts of it we like. There's more of it we like, and we think it's worth watching, and we hope it gets better. Yeah, I think we that's really <clears throat> happening with fandom in general is that if a piece of work doesn't exactly fulfill your needs of a story, it's automatically bad in some moralistic way and the creator has obviously done a terrible thing or is a terrible person and that kind of driven out the room for nuance we have and we put these pressures on 
already marginalized creators who are telling stories that are authentic to their emotional needs, what they need from art. And it's unfair to hold creators to these impossible purity standards and cutting away at any kind of representation we have that is complicated or nuanced or just different. I mean, I've seen so many queer creators who tell queer stories that get harassed by their readers or viewers because- oh, Isabel Fall. Yeah, who, um, trans woman who wrote a very interesting short story about, you know, transgender issues in a sci-fi imagination realm. And the title was intentionally referring to a transphobic meme as almost like proclaiming it and exploring what that meme would be like if it were real life. She got so harassed, including by big name people who didn't even read the story, but were part of the brigade, that she checked herself into a mental hospital due to major psychiatric issues. And stopped her transition process. And stopped writing and has given up on living as a trans woman who writes sci-fi. That is like- And again, I want to point out the, the, the key part for me is people who didn't even read the work. Yeah, it was literally just about being angry at some person. Because who, we have to be morally right online for everything. Yeah, I think like there was only like when the story came out, there was only like you only had her name and her birth year. And I think mm-hmm. people somehow through that information were able to create a narrative that she was a fascist or something. I mean, and it was th- just they thought it was an op. They thought, well, the, it, it it's just a very sad situation. But this leads me to something else of it's okay if people don't like the same things you like. It's okay. They're allowed to not like what you like. What you're not allowed to do is turn it into a moral issue. I'm not talking about somebody who's like, well, oh, I don't mind the Nazis. Like, no, fuck that person. I'm talking about like, I didn't like this book. They're allowed to not like something you like. People are allowed to not like things you you like. You're allowed to not like things other people like. That is normal. What's not okay is when you moralize it to try to assume that I'm right for liking this because I have the moral high ground. Or you could just accept that the other person doesn't like it and move on. Go touch grass. It's okay. And it's okay that you don't like the thing they like. There is a book that we link to we're linking to on the article for this it's from uh, sarah shulman conflict is not abuse overstating harm community community responsibility and the duty of repair and i think we do have this wild conflation of conflict as abuse as disagreement as abuse and this moralizing grossly overstates harm Because how quick do you see people like, oh, well, I got sent death threats and I got sent blah, blah, and I got sent blah, blah, and they're blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying that there isn't vile harassment happening. I know there is. I know there is. I'm saying it shouldn't happen in the first place on either side. Go touch grass. Disconnect and pull back. When you're accusing somebody of being an abuser that you haven't even met because they disagreed with you online, go touch grass. That is not healthy. 
And when you people do this, stir up this kind of discourse, they also then make it harder to actually address issues of abuse within a fandom. Like, for example, with Andy Van Fiction. If you're calling any person who may disagree with you or may have a difference of opinion that may be problematic, possibly, it erases the nuances of human interactions and makes it easier for actual abusers to skate on by and to gaslight their targets. There's another term that's been losing all meaning as someone who was gaslit quite regularly for decades i'm very annoyed at seeing people misuse the term i'm like oh you think that's gaslighting let me give you some anecdotes sweetie it's you are overstating the harm and by overstating that harm you're minimizing what other people have gone through and still go through and you're letting other people skate by without detection without consequences. You want to hear a really um, poignant example of this? So Taylor Swift released a song called Betty, which is from the viewpoint of a teenage boy singing a love song to his um, love interest, trying to win her back. A lot of queer fans interpreted the song as queer and the character, main character James as possibly being a girl. Taylor Swift wrote the song clearly from a teenage boy's point of view, if you understand teenage boys, and in her le- like album prologue letter that came out when the album came out, she mentioned a song about a boy learning to apologize, clearly referencing Betty. People got so angry and would tweet and write about how she was gaslighting the fans when she would later say the song was from a boy's point of view in like radio interviews. It is a song, people. She is not queerbaiting or gaslighting you. And if you actually paid attention, it was quite obvious that your interpretation was wrong from the get-go. And even if your interpretation was right, you're still misusing the word gaslighting. Come on, people. Also, it's okay to be wrong on the internet. I know this is a terrifying concept. It's okay to be wrong on the internet. Healthy individuals can admit that they were wrong and they made a mistake and learn and grow from it. Do you know what doesn't allow for any growth? 24-7 anger and any, any appearance of personal accountability being thrown out the window. That's not going to help you grow as a person. In fact, I would argue that does the opposite. You know who can't admit that they're wrong? Three-year-olds. I take that back. Two-year-olds. I know some three-year-olds. My three-year-old niece can admit she's wrong. She'll say sorry. Two-year-olds who don't have a concept yet of Mm -hmm. whether they've done something right or wrong. They can't admit they're wrong. You know who else can't admit they're wrong? If we want to go a more sinister aspect, QAnon people dying from COVID. They'll have COVID in the hospital. Still refuse to ever say that it's COVID. And they'll die. They will go to their graves denying that it's COVID. That they were wrong. Is this healthy? No. Go touch grass. Disconnect. Again, we are not saying this to be mean. We are saying this because we currently live in a panini capitalist hellscape that is hardcore facilitating this with capitalist hellscape algorithms designed to funnel and keep your attention. Cyberpunk dystopia. So it's up to us to realize when we are getting terminally online and then pull back we can still use the internet to 
keep in touch with our loved ones, you know, to work, to look up the information we need. We don't need the internet to consume us 24 seven on things like a ship war. We don't need the internet for that. Our most valuable commodity, again, our most valuable commodities are our time and energy. They are finite. Once they are given, we can't get, we can't take them back, but we can at least learn to realize we are directing them in the wrong direction and pivot and source those in a way that are going to benefit us and help us grow as people. All consuming online anger over what really at the end of the day amounts to not a lot is not healthy. It's not a good waste of your time. You do not want to hit your 30s and be like, what the hell did I spend all of my 20s on? You don't want to hit your 50s and be like, what the hell did I spend all of my 30s and 40s on? Don't put your energy into areas that you're going to look back later in your life and regret that you didn't put it in someplace else. And stop and think before you hit tweet, if you've written a horrible message to somebody that's angry and you're accusing them of Lord knows what, stop and think before you send it. Do you really need to send it? Does this person really deserve all of these horrific things thrown at them? Do you really mean this? Or are you just angry and caught up in the algorithm? Go touch grass. So that's about all the time we're going to have for today. I feel like we just gave a sermon. I don't know why. I'm like, I'm not even Christian, but I feel like that's just kind of sermony. Didn't mean to be sermony, but you know, it's just something that we've really been kind of hard to escape from noticing the last month. All I can say it's just practicing internet hygiene. I'm using that from now on, Corey. Get vaccinated. Good internet hygiene. Limit your online time. Go for walks, do some meditation, do some yoga, pet your cat, do some cleaning. I don't know. Organize your fragrance shelves. If you're in FragCom like I am. Even if it's just listening to a podcast when you're not at the computer, find some time to disconnect. What is your internet hygiene like? Also, what Taylor said, please, for fuck's sake, get vaccinated. It'll be easier for all of us to be outside all the time if people, everyone is vaccinated and wearing a mask and still social distancing. Yeah, we're not going to get out of this Panini online hellscape until more people get vaccinated. And practice good social masking, distancing methods. Like, y'all, it's not going to get better until some of y'all do the vaccine. Anyways, we have other podcasts. This was a heavier episode. This is one of our heaviest episodes in a while. We have other podcasts that don't get quite so deep, or maybe they do get that deep. Who knows? Maybe they all do. But you have to listen to him to find out. So we have All Bark, No Dice, Anime Attaché, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, Cannon Fodder, which is coming back next month uh, from its hiatus. And that's actually quite fun and lighthearted if you want something not quite so heavy. Uh, Fade Forge Academy, that's our weekly uh, live play TTRPG series. They're a great group of people. I highly recommend you check them out. Obviously, ladies first. And then we have that's Haram, Haram, <clears throat> that's Haram, and Right to Survive. Plenty of things to listen to, plenty of things to read on our site, but we also encourage you, you know, take some time off. Our site's still going to be here. Our podcasts, they're still going to be here. 
It's okay. We get it. Go touch grass. <laughs>